is another patronizing ad for airtime geared towards the mass market. In case you're new to the world of marketing, that means black. So it's supposed to be full of vernacular and make no reference to Facebook because the client isn't sure that the lower LSMs will know what a Facebook is. But we can say mix it. Trouble is, the agency is understaffed, so they had to get an ignorant white guy on the job whose street vocab is limited to show my chance. So here's the part where I make reference to a culture I know absolutely nothing about and say something like, you've heard this radio ad before, my chance, and you deserve better. Experience radio like you've never seen it before with the Gareth Cliff Show live on Comedy Central, Mondays to Fridays between 6 and 7.15 a.m. An honest, no-holds-barred radio show everywhere except on f***ing radio. Mix it, my chance.
Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com. This week's heavy petting on Cliff Central with myself, Leanne Mole. Welcome and give us a call if you like. Anything to do with animals, we'll answer your calls during the show. Uh, you can call 0861 Uh We are looking this week at why the koala hugs a tree. Also, the Frankel foal, which is a racing foal, which is just sold for 1.15 million pounds in London. And uh, we'll also be chatting to Sam Berger from Kitty and Puppy Haven, who um, has some desperate situations that she needs to share with us and perhaps ask for some help too. Firstly, let's take a look at animals in the news this week. As mentioned, a foal of legendary racehorse called Frankel has sold at an auction for £1.15 million. The three-month unnamed colt was sold in London together with his mother, Crystal Gaze, who is expecting her second Frankel foal next year. So the father foal, Frankel, was retired to stud in 2012. After winning all 14 of his races, he's widely regarded as the greatest racehorse of all time, winning almost three million pounds in prize money during his racing career. So if you work it out, if you buy the foal for 1.15 million pounds, and if he's going to win three million pounds throughout his racing career, you've got your maths pretty much sorted out. The bidding started at a million pounds, but in the end, the colt, his mother and his unborn brother or sister went for a whopping one million one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. He was bought by uh, the Magna family at Coolmore Stud in Tipperary in Ireland. They train their horses with Aidan O'Brien, the trainer who's responsible for the last three consecutive derby winners. And speaking to the man who uh, sold uh, Frankel's son at auction today, Dave Redvers, he told me uh, that he was happy happy that this colt was going to the best possible hands. He said that he expects to see the colt racing in Ascot in a couple of years' time, and he said he'll be there uh, on the rails, cheering him home and feeling very proud about it as well. I also managed to grab a couple of words with the man who put in that winning bid, uh, MV Magna as well. He said the family had been uh, attracted by the look of this foal, its movement, and when I asked him if he felt if he'd invested in a piece of flat racing history here today, he told me he'd have to tell me the answer to that question in a couple of years' time because there is, of course, huge expectation on the shoulders of this young colt, the son of Frankel, uh, one of the most successful racehorses in history. And, of course, the new owners here today will have to wait a couple of years until they can find out whether their expensive gamble has paid off. And just looking at the video, he's the cutest little thing and you can't believe that this horse, pine-sized horse, he's probably about um, a quarter of the size that he's going to be and standing next to his mum has just been sold for that amount of money. It's obviously a record. In uh, other news, a group of guys on a bachelor party weekend hiking around Elephant Butte Lake Salt Park, Lake State Park rather. I'm sorry, I got distracted by the Butte part. I wanted to say butt. So we'll call it that. Elephant Butt Lake State Park has found a massive fossil thought to be the skull of a um, creature called Stegomastodon. This is Bryce Sander for Newsy who has more. Probably the last thing you would expect to happen at a bachelor party is a scientific discovery. But that's exactly what happened in New Mexico. And as we're coming back down the shore, uh, I see something in the ground. 
that something was a huge fossil. Antonio Gradius and his bachelor buddies were hiking around Elephant Butte Lake State Park about 150 miles outside of Albuquerque when they made the discovery. When the guys first spotted the giant fossil, they said they thought it was a woolly mammoth, but when they sent pictures to the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science in Albuquerque, the scientists there said it looked more like a stegomastodon, a 9-foot-tall, 13,000-pound prehistoric pachyderm that roamed New Mexico millions of years ago. Think a Jumbo Dumbo, or giant elephant, which makes sense. They were at Elephant Butte Lake. KRQE has a closer look at their massive find. The area has been blocked off so paleontologists can work to excavate the fossil and confirm what it is. The public is asked to stay away and help protect the area. One of those researchers, Gary Morgan, told CBS he's never seen anything like the fossil in his 30-year career. The skull looks virtually 100% complete, a very important scientific discovery that we may put on public display. Excavation is only expected to take about six hours, but will require some pretty heavy-duty machinery. The skull is filled with sand and might weigh as much as a thousand pounds. I wonder how many of the bachelors thought they were seeing pink elephants rather than an ancient elephant fossil. In some uh, difficult news, in, in Nilspreet, a hippopotamus has been shot dead because he posed a threat to residents of villages near a mining area in Barberton. The Mpumalanga Tourism and Parks Agency, or MTPA chief, Jacques Moribane, says the animal had been chased out of the hippo-infested Nootkop River near Carp Maiden along the N4. The community then spotted him. So Moripane says the options were to dart the hippo or to put him down. He says, however, MPTA officials couldn't dart as he would have drowned in the water. The CEO says the hippo put the community at risk, so they had no choice but to put it down. And a case has been opened against a man who allegedly dragged his dog behind his car with a rope in Neisner. That's according to the Animal Welfare Society. Chairperson Martin van Leeuwen says two residents from Brenton-on-Lake had laid an animal cruelty charge against the dog owner after the incident took place on Thursday. The man had allegedly dragged the dog in a fit of anger after the animal escaped from his house. The dog was admitted to Neisner Veterinary Clinic on the same day. And the news that you've been waiting for, if you've been listening to promos of the show, is that koalas um, hang on to trees for a certain reason. They might look cute hanging on to tree trunks, but that's not why they do it. It's got something to do with keeping their cool. Ever wonder exactly why koalas hug trees? Well, aside from it being incredibly adorable, a team of researchers from the University of Melbourne says it serves an important purpose. Apparently, they hug the lower parts of the tree because that's where it's cooler. And they somehow are able to pass off some of their body heat to the tree. In a new study, scientists found koalas move to lower parts of trees in hotter weather to keep cool. The researchers found they even pressed their bodies closer to the trunks to get the maximum benefit. The team made these observations while studying 30 koalas in Melbourne, Australia, during a few particularly hot summer days. The BBC reports the scientists used a thermal camera mounted on a long pole up in the trees to measure the temperature the koalas were feeling. The researchers found in the hotter summer weather, the koalas would move down the trees instead of staying up high near the leaves. One of the study's authors told the BBC they'd just flop over the lower tree trunks. It looked like they were spread-eagled and uncomfortable. It seemed like the wrong thing to do. But after comparing the temperatures of the tree trunks and the koalas themselves, the researchers discovered the animals that hung out near the bottom of the trees were up to 7 degrees cooler than the air. 
The Huffington Post quotes one of the study's authors in a statement summing up their findings. When we took the heat imagery, it dramatically confirmed our idea that the tree hugging was an important cooling behavior in extreme heat. Cool tree trunks are likely to be an important microhabitat during hot weather for other tree-dwelling species, including primates, leopards, birds, and invertebrates. So why don't koalas beat the heat by panting or licking their fur like other mammals do? The researchers told The Guardian doing that could leave the koalas dangerously dehydrated. Koalas don't have sweat glands, and during times of high heat and low rainfall, the animals simply can't endure the evaporation caused by panting or licking. And that's Jamal Andres from Newsy. You're listening to Heavy Petting on cliffcentral.com. Give us a call if you can, 0861-555-189. And uh, if you're not listening on cliffcentral.com, remember you can also listen on our Cliff Central account on WeChat. We'll take a quick break. Be back next. Show, kicking with your torso, boys getting high and the girls even more so. Wave your hands if you're not with a man. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. I got, you got, we got everybody. I got the gift, gonna stick it in the gold. It's time to move your body.
This is Heavy Petting on cliffcentral.com. Um, if you'd like to message to the show directly, we can uh, read your messages on the screen here. Just go onto the WeChat channel or um, uh, the uh, WeChat app, rather. And on Cliff Central's account, you can message to show and message us directly. Let's continue now with the conservation conversation for today, uh, kicking it off with a really, really heartbreaking story and very, very big news um, across Africa. Poachers have killed one of Kenya's most beloved elephants, a behemoth animal with tusks so large that they touched the ground. The bull, named Satao, was shot with poisoned arrows in the sprawling Tsavo National Park in the country's southeast. Wildlife officials found his carcass with two massive holes where his tusks once stood. His face was also badly mutilated. Authorities used other ways to identify him, including his ears and the pattern of mud caked on his body. Poachers have killed one of Kenya's most famous elephants in Savo East National Park. One of the largest elephants in Kenya has been confirmed dead at the hands of poachers who cut off the animal's face and tusks and left the carcass to be found by conservationists. Graphic images of the slaying have been released by the Savo Trust and the Kenya Wildlife Service. The elephant was known as Satao and was one of the last great tuskers with ivory tusks weighing more than a 100 pounds. Satao was killed by poisonous arrows and the rest of his body was left in the field after poachers harvested the ivory. A problem of a lot of people using bows and arrows. Right. You can't hear them. It's not mm-hmm. like gunshots. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who are sometimes grazing their cattle inside the national parks. Right. All of our elephants are at a far greater risk now than ever in the past. Mark Diebel, a British filmmaker who documented Satao extensively, is quoted as saying, Satao was probably one of half a dozen of Kenya's great tuskers, possibly the largest. It's a devastating situation. Kenya's last great tuskers need presidential protection. If Satao's death can galvanize the focus on what's actually happening here in terms of poaching, then he won't have died in vain. Some experts say that the number of elephants that have been poached in Kenya might actually be up to 10 times higher than what has been officially reported. Looking on the sunnier side of our conservation conversation, President Barack Obama of the U.S. is looking to create the largest marine preserve in the world in the Pacific Ocean. The White House says Obama wants to protect a massive stretch of ocean from drilling, fishing and other actions that could threaten wildlife. He's considering expanding protected waters that surround a group of mostly uninhabited islands in the U.S. controls near Hawaii and the American Samoa. Obama is due to announce the executive action soon, but the White House says it will listen to public input and is still finalizing the sanctuary's boundaries. Obama also plans to create a program to address prohibited fish and seafood trade. The actions were first reported by the Washington Post. This expansion comes as Obama is seeking ways to protect climate and the environment, environment rather, despite opposition in Congress. Time now for our doggy style section of heavy petting. And uh, today we're looking at the Maltese. Did you know that the Maltese dog has hair and not fur? What's the difference? Well, it's great for dog lovers with allergies. Here's what the pet collective's Doglopedia says about them. Hello there, I'm a Maltese, and if there was a pet owner fan club, I would be the founding member. Consider me your BFF. I was bred to be a companion dog, so feel free to shower me with endless hugs and kisses. I love humans so much, I prefer to be with them at all times. 
My breed originated in the central Mediterranean region in countries such as Greece and Malta, which I am named after. In ancient times, I had quite the loyal fan base as a subject of several... Well, sorry about that. We'll learn more about the Maltese next time. I um, only wanted you to know half of it anyway. Just testing if you're listening. Uh, okay, moving on to what's new, Pussycats. This story is about a woman this week um, who got stuck in a tree while trying to rescue a cat that was stuck in the tree. Firefighters in Pennsylvania had to rescue a woman from the tree after she tried to rescue that cat. This is from Tomo News. Many people don't know this, but it's not typically a firefighter's job to rescue a cat from a tree unless there's someone stuck up there with it. Which is what happened to one lucky feline in Pennsylvania after it got stuck in a tree 40 feet tall. 21-year-old Tara Dennis, who wanted to help, decided to scale a nearby fence, then climb onto a garage roof before scampering up the tree to rescue the stranded cat. However, Dennis didn't really think it through because she then realized she wasn't a good enough climber to find her way back down. Eventually, firefighters had to come get her, and the cat too. So it seems as if you want to try and rescue a cat that's stuck in a tree. The logical thing to do is to get into the tree with the cat. Then the firefighters have to rescue you. Listening to Heavy Petting on Cliff Central, uh, when we come back, a story about Stoffel the Badger, who's like Houdini.
Heavy pacing on Cliff Central. Give us a call if you want to, please. 0861 Here's a story that I absolutely love. It's the story of Stoffel, the honey badger. Remember, honey badger don't care. He's a different one. This is a South African one. And he can escape absolutely any type of pen. His farmer has tried everything to try and uh, keep him indoors, but it's just not helping. After Stoffel's severe mauling by the lions, Brian knew that he had to get his badger under control. His solution was a brand new pen and the introduction of Hammy to help him work off steam. Far from settling down though, the canoodling couple soon proved that honey badgers are not just fearless, but astonishingly clever. We started off with the mesh type fence, but it didn't work. Stoffel soon devised a plan for opening up the gate, which has got two bolts. He would get the female to go up. He would go up, open the first gate. He'd hold the gate and say, woman, get up. I'm pulling open, you open up. She goes up to the top, she pulls the second one out. And then he pulls it open, he waits for her to get down, and they escape together. The escape was no fluke. Considering their small size, honey badgers have remarkably big brains. The intelligence is just beyond anything. Whatever Brian did to keep him in, Stoffel was hell-bent on getting out. In the end, and at great expense, Brian had no choice but to build his own Badger Alcatraz. I said, Stoffel, the days of your escape are over, buddy. Uh-huh. That night, they called me, Brian Stoffel's out. I said, it's impossible. But we had trees in here. And he climbed up the trees and they leaned over onto the wall and he was out. So we cut all the branches out of the trees in here and left the trees in the middle. Then he dug up the rocks and he'd roll them with his back feet to the wall until he piled them up high enough. And then he'd get out. So we took all the rocks away. This was like a game for Stoffel. Every time I devise some plan, it was like a game for him to work out how could he get over this. One o'clock in the morning, my wife wakes up, Brian, Brian, someone's in the house. She said, I heard a window break. So we freeze. Oh my, expecting burglars. And he has Stoffel at my bedroom door trying to get to the bedroom door. He made himself a mud ball and he fits it to make it bigger and he rolled it and he stands up and he just got out like that. People have said, oh, did you train? I said, train it? Not at all. Didn't even think of it. He outwitted us each time with his schemes. I remember one day a keeper left a rake in Stoffel's enclosure 
scratched himself, lies on his side, there he's thinking. Computer's working it. Take the rake, put it in his back, put it against the wall. Climb out and off you go. Stoffel! I mean, you won't believe these stories. You think it's a hoax? It's not a hoax! That is Stoffel. Ah, oh, Stoffel the honey badger. You've got to love him. So intelligent. Unbelievable. Hi, I'm Maddie, and welcome to our top 10 snake facts. Okay, that'll come up a little later. Um, uh, but for, me, for the meantime, we've got um, Sam Berger, who's on the line. She's from a fantastic organization based in Johannesburg, um, or even closer to Midrand now, called Kitty and Puppy Haven. Um, geez, they've seen their ups and downs um, over the years, and Sam has been ever resilient, and uh, she's still fighting for a number of um, issues and difficulties that she faces at Kitty and Puppy Haven. Sam, welcome to Heavy Petting. Hi, Leanne. Thanks, thanks for having us. You are trying not to laugh as you're introducing me. Oh, <laughs> we have had some issues over the past 14 years, haven't we? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you've, you've, you've had to relocate. I think that's what the most difficult part has been because it hasn't only been once. Um, we relocated uh, last year. We've been in our new premises for the last seven months. And before that, you were somewhere else, and before that, yeah, somewhere else. Before, I mean. Yeah, no, we, we've, we've moved three times. This is the third time. This yeah. is now, thank, thank God, the last time, because we've bought the most incredible property in Madrid. Um, hindsight, it was worth it, because when I look around at what we've got now, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, the space that we've got, the quality of life, that we've got the most incredible place. But it really has put both an emotional and, and financial strain, you know, on, on the, the welfare. Yeah, for sure. How many animals are you able to shelter now in the new premises? Look, we never really go above, um, it's about three, four hundred. Because what we do is we keep in foster care. We also, I'm very strict with my numbers because to us, quality of life is the most important thing. And also remember, I don't take in people's unwanted. I only take in injured, abused, neglected, which is quite sad when you think that, you know, last year alone, um, with the shelter closed, uh, which gives you quite a perspective of what things do. I mean, 1,500 animals came into us last year with no shelter, and 1,300 of those were home. So we're looking at phenomenal numbers. Last month alone, um, we had our record in 14 years. We homed 164 in one month. Jeez. We've never seen that figure in, in 14 years, but it just scares you to think that we had taken in 250 that month. Yeah. What, what do you think so, um, helped you home so many dogs? Did you, did you do something differently that time? No. You know what? We, we're very, very active on Facebook, and thank God we have got a lot of um, supporters. Also, people are starting to realize that adopting from a shelter is so much more Efficient and effective because, first of all, you cut down all your vet bills because we include the vaccinations and the sterilization. Yeah. Also, our animals are fully checked. So you're not taking something that you're going to take home, fall in love with, and two weeks later you're sitting with a vet bill of 10,000 rand because your animal's got parvo or snuffles or something like that. So, you know, we are very responsible. And I have got a full-time vet and a vet clinic um, on my premises purely to look after our sanctuary and our um, rescue animals. 
Yeah, and and just thinking back to what you said a little bit earlier about the fact that you don't take in people's unwanted mm-hmm. animals. I mean, that's it's it's something that's difficult to do in your position. But um, what you've always said is very true, and that's that these animals, these adult animals, pets of people who are going overseas or just can't look after them anymore, they'll often end up in a shelter and spend the rest of their lives in a cage or, or you know locked well, up. Well, you see, the one why I won't do it is. Because an animal that's coming from a home that's used to a bed and used to a loving environment, for them to come into a shelter is literally a death sentence. They don't cope. We used to do it. And I've actually watched these animals die of kidney failure and things like that. And I just feel, you know what? There's so many other options that people can can make. And my animals that I take in um, are from townships, from squatter camps, from injured and abused homes. Um, It's not a racial issue because... Black and white, I have um, negligence and cruelty complaints from. But the point is, to them, this is heaven. This is better than they've ever had. They send me on veterinary food. They've got amazing, they've got treats, they've got toys, they've got blankets, they've got love. So to them, this is an amazing quality of life. Whereas to an animal that's been in, in somebody's home, this yeah. is, you know, this is honestly, it's a prison to them. So what do you suggest for people who want to, to try and rehome an animal? Do you think it's... I mean, I've personally experienced some some great results from um, using just my own Facebook page, putting the word out there and chatting to people that you know. You know, it's it's such a catch-22. It really is because I know that everyone there there are issues that people really can't can't control. But and those will always try and help and make a plan. But for people that are just getting rid of them for no reason whatsoever, you know, they're moving. They've suddenly bought a, a flat. You know, look at your before you move. Look whether you can take your animals. There are so many unwanted out there that the chances of them getting homes are relatively slim. Um, you should try friends and family. You never, ever, ever um, advertise your animals on Gumtree or Olex or Free mm. to a Good Home because the amount of fighting and dog baiting that goes on in this country that people are so unaware of is quite frightening because we end up having to rescue those animals out of those rings. So can you just explain what that is exactly, Sam? Well, what happens is there, there are people that take these animals from, you know, adverts free to good homes. And they look like they're really nice people because these, these groups have learned how to send in relatively normal people that pretend that they love your animal. They take your animal away. They then give your animal, if it's not, you know, a, a large dog, um, like a pity or a, a burbul or something like that, that they can train to fight. And believe me, as much as your animal is loving and sweet, if you terrorize that animal enough. It will learn to fight. And there are horrific ways of teaching animals to fight. Mm. If you've got a sweet little fluffy dog or puppies to a good home or kittens, those are given to those dogs to teach them to kill. So your animals are used as bait dogs. It's absolutely horrific. No, it really is. And, you know, people don't want to talk about it because I understand the public doesn't want to hear about it. We don't either. But because we see it and we know what's going on, it terrifies us when we see people giving away animals, left, right, and center, free to a good home. Mm. Um, kittens are used as snake food. Yes. In fact, um, Sam, that reminds me of um, um, I've actually adopted three animals from Kitty and Puppy Haven, which Sam helped me pick out. Um, <laughs> the one is Joey, who was known as Hardy back then, and he's a little miniature pincher, and he's doing absolutely fantastic. Oh, wonderful. I think he's he's got so much energy, and he's a lot of hard work for a little thing like he is. Yeah, your small dogs, people forget that your small dogs are the ones that need the most 
stimulation and and love and attention. And they people think that the large dogs are the ones that need the work. They yeah. they forget that your small dogs are actually your ones that really need the work. They really do. And um, my mom has had to become a real gran and look after him so many times <laughs> because I'm if I'm away from home for just a little bit, you know, it's it's really difficult for him. Um, there was also Sebastian the kitten who I adopted from you. He was really very ill. And after managing to to uh, rehabilitate him, he was unfortunately knocked over in the road, um, oh. which was heartbreaking. It took a very long time to get over that. And then there was Sheba, who I was supposed to be just looking after for a little while. No, foster care, yeah. foster failure. <laughs> uh-huh, foster failure kept her, and I, she's not a cat. She's something else. She, I think yeah, she's, no, they, she's like an armadillo or something. Yeah, she, she's a crazy creature. I've... I mean, I've seen quite a few animals with different personalities and cats especially, but she's just something else. I can't figure out what she is, um, but she's delightful. And um, she was saying that, uh, or she, you were saying rather, Sam, that Sheba was probably uh, being sold as snake food on the side of the road at the time. Well, you see, that that's what I say. Unfortunately, free to a good home is really a very scary thing. Mm. You know, also you've got to remember that, you know, unfortunately we're in a country that we People are, are poor, and if they can go and get animals free from a good home and resell them, they will do it. Yeah. Um, Sam, tell us a little bit more about the Alexandra Project. How's that going, your township projects? Um, well, look, once we moved out of Kew, unfortunately, we, we moved far away from Alex. But yeah. we did our, a dog day three, uh, two months ago, which was unbelievable. I mean, the, the Alex residents were so excited to see us. It was actually the most wonderful welcoming that we had back. We had a phenomenal day. I mean, we saw over a thousand dogs. Um, all of them were looking in wonderful conditions, still, which really, really made made my day because I yeah. know that our work hasn't gone to waste because we've been involved in Alex for I think it's four years now. But it's incredible that even though we've moved, I still get phone calls from my Alex residents, and I still get them actually going to my old premises where I've got staff staying where they drop off injured or abused or unwanted animals. So we're still servicing them, quite, you know, quite a bit. Yeah, that's um, And now we've also started with Tembisa because we're so close to there yeah. that um, they've learned about us. And now we've got um, a little bit of Tembisa and Alex on our plates, which is nice because everyone seems to know about us in the communities. Yes. So, you know, we haven't dropped Alex by any means and we don't intend to. Mm. But um, what we've got to remember is, unfortunately, it's very, very expensive when we go in and do the dog days. Yes, the rewards are incredible. But, um, you know, we've also, I had to stop. I was doing it every three months. And unfortunately, I did have to pull back because I found that it was putting such pressure um, financially on the sanctuary yeah. that I had to decide, you know, which is my first priority. Is it? you know, my Alex dog days or is it Kitty and Puppy Haven? But um, the nice thing is, yes, they still call us. They still, you know, phone us for help. They still drop in. So we are still fully in contact. And I'm very involved with um, one of the AIDS orphanages in Alex. And they're actually working as a satellite branch for me because anyone who needs us goes there and then they phone us and we go in and collect. Okay, Sam, the big question now is, what exactly are you needing at the moment at the sanctuary? What are you absolutely desperate for? Look, food is always a huge issue because even though we do get sponsorship, Hills has been very good to us over the years. They can, and Eucanuba um, is starting to come on board. But nobody can ever really keep up with what we use. Um, 
we, we're going to, just to give you an average, so people can actually realize how much food on a monthly basis. Um, cat food, we're going through 100 kilos. Kitten food, 150 to 200 kilos. Puppy food, two to 300 kilos a month. And, you know, we do use the good foods. Unfortunately, yeah. we do, because our animals are in such bad condition, we really do need to use veterinary foods and things like that. Yes, we do use the others, so nothing goes to waste because we mix it in with it or we give to our township programs. Yeah. But at the moment, um, I'm finding that I cannot, for the love of me, get um, kitten, kitten food. I am spending about 5,000 rand a week buying high-quality kitten food. Oh, that's, that's really dire. Um, and, you know, the kitty and puppy milk, because remember, you know, we get so many newborns because yes. the mother is poisoned or there's no mother, so we've got kittens or puppies, and we spend a fortune on kitty and puppy milk. Yeah. Just, well, it's just a never-ending supply. So, you know, food is always an issue for us. But I find that, as I say, once our numbers are going up so substantially, and they really are, I mean, People, I was laughing because people were saying, shelters were saying they were full. We were sitting with 250 kittens that at is, the beginning oh of the year. Oh, my gosh. That is just and so And thank scary. God we've managed to home a, a lot and we've yeah. come down. But, you know, that's when you're saying you're full. When you're sitting on between 100 and 200 kittens and all of these, you know, remember all my cats and kittens are also things have changed. We now do the AIDS and leukemia test. Oh. So, you know, these guys really get everything thrown at them but you know when we home them and they're home for a whole 500 rand we we actually lose about 200 rand on each adoption which doesn't worry us we'd rather know that they're healthy and happy but if people could help us with sponsorships of you know the companies of the the kitten tin food or puppy food or the kitten milk Mm. um or the high quality um kitten food that that would really, really help us because at the moment, as I say, dog and puppy we're managing, but cat and kitten and and milk really and truly, um, it's just bleeding us dry. We're chatting to um, Sam Berger from Kitty and Puppy Haven. And uh, if you do want to try and help out or if you know someone who'd like to sponsor, please um, contact them on Twitter even um, at KPH Rescue or on their Facebook page or on kittyhaven.co.za or puppyhaven.co.za. Sam, um, any special doggies or kittens or cats who you're battling to home at the moment? I've got two really, really sad tales here that I really would appreciate some help with if anyone can help us. The one is Rambo. He was a little boy that was brought to us on our Alex Dog Day. On our Facebook page, you can actually see pictures of him. He was brought in with a very bad fracture, and we actually had to amputate his leg. He's the most wonderful, he, he's a large breed boy, he's about two years old, and unfortunately we just can't get hold of the owner anymore, so he's ended up here, he's very happy, but I mean, he really needs to be in our home, he's a yeah. beautiful boy, uh, he copes brilliantly on his three legs, we actually laugh at him while he digs and sits and balances on two of them, um, but you know, he, he really needs to be in our home, and our other little baby is Alex, yeah. Alex is little Jack Russell, she actually was shot with pellet guns and she had shrapnel in her spine. And it took us two years um, with Park Morvet to actually get her to walk and 
that we thought she'd be crippled. And now she runs around like a normal dog. She has no problems whatsoever. What a great and rehabilitation story. We, yeah, but that's why I'm saying she's the most incredible dog. She was left for crippled with shrapnel in her spine. We've got her right. And now we just, nobody looks at her. Everyone looks at puppies. That's it, um, yeah. Because she's a little Jackie. And she is the most awesome little dog. As happy as can be. Doesn't realize that she nearly died and was paralyzed for a year. Yeah. And um, she's not an old dog. She's she's probably just turning to, I mean, as I say, we got her when she was a puppy and she was paralyzed. And now she's she's ready for a home, but nobody um, has shown any interest in her. And she's really one of our major, major success stories. Yeah. She's, well, I, I think a lot of people would be interested in in owning a dog like that. You know, it really well, makes you feel good. Give her, give her, you know, come in and meet these guys and yeah. give them a chance and see because they're both very, very special animals. I mean, all of ours are special, don't get me wrong. Mm. But both of these have gone through a real, real ordeal. Yeah. And um, they just deserve to actually know what life's about. You know, that they haven't had, yes, they've had our love and attention and we, we really do love them, but they haven't had that, that special mm. person. And so, I think that's what they really, really need. So, Sam, if people do want to come and see them, where exactly in Midrand are you? We are at 37 Modifantine Road, um, President Park, Midrand. We open six days a week to the public yeah. from 9.30 to three weekdays, Thursdays till 12 and Saturdays till 2. Um, and we really, you know, as I said, people are more than welcome. They don't need to phone for appointments. During those hours, we're here. We're waiting for them. Um, the animals are here to be looked at, to be adopted, to be played with. Mm. People are more than welcome to come in. Um, come and take a look. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much and best of luck. And thank you for chatting to us. Um, that's Sam Berger from uh, Kitty and Puppy Haven. And you can... Thank you so much, Leanne. Thanks, Have Sam. Have a good day. You hey? too. Thank you. Bye. Um, Kitty and Puppy Haven Rescue is on Twitter at KPH Rescue. Um, and if you want to go and visit Rambo and Alex, the two doggies that we were just speaking of, you can look them up on Facebook and on uh, the websites as well. Their websites are kittyhaven.co.za or puppyhaven.co.za. They've also got a fantastic Facebook page. And also, if you know anybody who'd like to sponsor kitten food and kitten milk, that would be fantastic. Um, I think it's time to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll finally pay, play you that full clip of the Maltese.
Lovely, Annie Lennox. This is heavy petting on Cliff Central. Uh, you're listening to Leanne Mole. I'm usually on in the mornings with Gareth Cliff on uh, Cliff Central and also on Comedy Central from 6 to 9 a.m. on weekdays. And heavy petting is every Wednesday from 10 a.m. until 11 a.m. Uh, we've just got a message in on our WeChat channel, which uh, you can access by clicking message to show. Um, this is from Melissa, who says, My daughter's fish died three months ago. Um, she cried a lot but uh, she loves all animals. I want her to have another pet to look after. So I've asked her if I should get her a new fish, bird, cat, or any other pet. And she says, Mommy, I'm just not over my fish. So how do I get her to be interested in pets again? Uh, Melissa, it's um, sometimes the best way of teaching kids how to deal with real life and and death. Um, And I think it was good that it was probably a goldfish to start with because it can take absolutely months and months to get over. It's been three months for her. Um, I I remember losing my first goldfish, and I still think about it with horror, absolute horror, that first first, um, find when you you get up in the morning and you see that fish isn't alive anymore. But um, give her a few more months and... Take her to pet shops or to shelters and show her some little animals and creatures, and I'm sure that she'll, in time, get a lot better. Um, yeah, we. One thing that we do promote is not going necessarily to a breeder if you want a thoroughbred dog, because there are these thoroughbreds that are available at many shelters um, who've either been lost or just um, can't be taken care of anymore. One of them is the Maltese, and a lot of people don't know that the Maltese has hair and not fur. We started playing this clip a little bit earlier, but uh, let's carry on with it now. This is the Pet Collective's Doglopedia on Maltese. Hello there, I'm a Maltese, and if there was a pet owner fan club, I would be the founding member. Consider me your BFF. I was bred to be a companion dog, so feel free to shower me with endless hugs and kisses. I love humans so much, I prefer to be with them at all times. My breed originated in the central Mediterranean region, in countries such as Greece and Malta, which I am named after. In ancient times, I had quite the loyal fan base as a subject of several Grecian paintings and was written about by famous philosophers, including Aristotle. I was also a hit with the noble women, even getting the nickname Roman Ladies Dog. Maltese typically live between 12 and 15 years, were a small dog breed, standing between 7 and 12 inches tall, weighing between 5 to 12 pounds. Among our noticeable characteristics, we have a slightly rounded skull, a black button nose, drop ears, and long, silky white hair. Yes, instead of fur, we have hair. Because of this, we're great for people with severe pet allergies. However, we're not immune to illnesses, and we're very sensitive when it comes to extreme temperatures. So don't leave us out in the heat for too long. Remember when I mentioned I love playing with my owner? Well, I mean it, because lack of attention and stimulation can lead to separation anxiety. When it comes to training, it's important to start early. We want to be with you all the time, so teaching us to be independent at a young age will help with separation anxiety later in life. Despite our high energy, we are small dogs and don't need a lot of space to play, which makes us great urban dogs. We don't mind small spaces. In fact, I kind of like them. Apartment living is fine with me. What's most important is the attention of our owner. So, to conclude, we came from the Mediterranean region where we were adored by Grecian painters and philosophers. We're a pretty small breed and are known for our black button nose and our long, silky white hair. Since we don't require a lot of room, we're excellent city dogs. 
We're very intelligent and easy to train if you're consistent. Thanks for listening to Heavy Petting this week with myself, Leanne Mole. Um, up next is Rookies and Rockstars with the lovely, lovely Flubby and Jade. Is Jade here this week? Jade's not here this week. She's on her lonesome, um, but I'm sure she'll be absolutely fine, although she'll miss her friendy. <laughs> um, next week, we chat to Cassandra Barbosa, who's from Alps, which is known as the Animal Lovers Project Swing. And uh, that is a project, a welfare project run in the Etwatwa Township on Gauteng's East Rand. Also next week, we feature snakes. Um, we've got a lot of snake facts for you. Um, like, did you know that snakes have two penises? Well, they do. That and also a new snake species, which has just been discovered in Cambodia. That's next week, Wednesday, 10 until 11 a.m. on Cliff Central Heavy Petting. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. Cliffcentral.com.